this morning, I wanted to take an opportunity and uh, share uh, just kind of a one-off message with you. I don't have this as part of a series or anything, but I actually have a title for the message, which I don't normally do, so I'm pretty proud of myself there. Uh, no, but the title's really simple. It's just my prayer for you, my prayer for you. We're going to take a look at the book of Ephesians and read just two verses here, but it's part of a prayer that Paul had uh, for the church at Ephesus. In fact, if you look in there, verses like 15 through 24, 25 is one long sentence. We divide it into verses, but one long sentence, and it's a prayer that Paul has for the people, uh, the people who are coming to this church in Ephesus. And uh, I want to draw out just four things for us this morning of Paul's prayer. But I want us to see it in the context of really uh, the overall vision that we have here of faith community. And I want you to hear it from the perspective of this is what I want for you. As, a, as the pastor of this church, this is what I, I want for you. You know, I think when we, when we look at the Bible, sometimes we fail to realize the, the context in which it's written and the audience. Paul was not a pastor. Paul was a church planner. He went around, he traveled a lot, and he started these churches. And the way that he kept in contact with them after he raised the leadership up was he wrote them letters, letters of encouragement. They had some correction in them. And he's very pastoral, though, at times in the way he writes. And these letters ended up becoming two-thirds of the New Testament. You have Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul to the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, the church at Philippi. He's writing to them. He knows these people. He's picturing their faces in his mind as he writes to them. And we have to see them just as that, as a a letter written from somebody who had a relationship and a connection, and more than that, had a compassion and a care for those people. But here's what's so amazing about Scripture, is that when Paul was writing it, to the church at Ephesus, God was using him to write it to the church of faith community here in House Springs, however many thousands of years later. That in the heart and mind of God, we were always part of the audience, even if the original writer couldn't see it. That's the thing about Scripture, that it transcends a context, it transcends time, it transcends race, It transcends language barriers. So as Paul sitting to write this, and as I read in a few moments, writing to the church at Ephesus and saying, this is my prayer for you. I want you to hear it as God saying, this is Paul's prayer for you. This is is my prayer as the pastor of this church for you. See, we exist here to help you move from where you're at to where God wants you to be. However you come in the building on any given day. You come in as a believer, you come in maybe for a long time, you come as someone who doesn't believe, someone who used to believe, someone who maybe wants to believe. Maybe you come in just mad at your kids, mad at your husband, mad at your wife, whatever. How how can you move that day from where you're at to where God wants you to be? I don't think any of us have arrived at all, right? God is always progressing us. He's moving us forward because he has more for us. God doesn't settle. He doesn't want us to settle. So wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, we just want to help you move from where you're at today to where God ultimately wants you to be. That's why we exist. And that's really straight from here. I want you to hear these words. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. Here's what Paul says. See, he's He's already introduced himself, I, Paul, the apostle, and I've heard about you, and I've been, I'm so excited to see what God's doing in your life. I'm so excited to see how you've grown. And then he gets, he gets to this point, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Let me read it to you from the message. I like the way this phrase says, I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Everybody say personally. That your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do and that you would grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life that he has for his followers. That's right smack dab in the middle of these verses that Paul, it's his prayer for the people. I don't know about you, but, but I grew up kind of with this view of God that God just wanted me to stop doing stuff. You know, like, don't do this. Don't do that. I don't like this, so stop. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And I want to like what God wants to like. And it really became about my behavior, right? Like God's biggest goal for me was to stop doing stuff, right? That God, the, the creator of the universe, is so concerned about my behavior, which I believe that God is concerned about our behavior, but I just really believed that he was this cosmic disciplinarian or like this principal or a taskmaster that was saying, stop, don't, can't, change. And it's like I was auditioning for God. I've even heard this before. This life is an audition for heaven. I don't believe that. I don't audition for God. It's like my son Carson. He's been my son for seven years. I've never sat him down and said, hey, you got 20 years. I'm going to grade you. And after 20 years, we'll see if you're still my son. I mean, I've asked him, whose child are you? I've asked him. Right? But I've never once said, audition for me. Make me want you. Make me accept you. Make me love you. That's kind of how I felt growing up. I'm not blaming anybody, but I just felt I was always auditioning for God. Anybody ever felt that? Yeah. Well, stop. You're not auditioning, you're his son. You're his daughter. And we are not sons and daughters by worth. We are sons and daughters of God by birth. That's why we are born again into the family of God. What this really does is it helps us to stop picking the the proverbial flower which says, he loves me. He loves me not. I went to church. I gave. I got a word. He loves me. I failed. I sinned. I did whatever. He loves me not. And you just hope There's enough petals on that flower that you land on. He loves me by the time you die. I think every flower is, he loves me. I sinned, I screwed up. He loves me. He forgives me. He saves me. He sets me free. And if we can grasp this idea that we're not auditioning for God and that he sent his son Jesus because he so loved the world, to save us and to set us free, that he is for us and not against us, that he knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper and have a future and not to harm us, it'll change our lives. And that's why I think as I look at this prayer, there are four key things here that we have to understand. And maybe you've seen them. They're actually on the wall outside of this room here when you walk in. And the first thing is here that what does God want? What's his prayer? What's my prayer for you is to know God. Listen to this. He says, I pray that you may know him better. And then and I talks there personally, or as the message put it, that he would make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him 
personally to know God. See, growing up, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Huge. Anybody else? There's got to be more. Go on. I can't. Don't do it. Loved Michael Jordan. I mean, I mean, I loved Michael. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I love Michael Jordan so much, I even liked the movie Space Jam. And the Space Jam isn't that good of a movie, but Michael Jordan's in it. Love Michael Jordan. Man, I, my, my room was adorned with posters of Michael Jordan from the Dream Team, you know, when he played on that, even from his, his jump at the free throw line, flying through the air, dunk at the dunk contest like early in his career. Like, I had Michael Jordan posters. I wanted to put them on our walls when we got married because my college dorm room still had Michael Jordan posters on them. I knew how much he weighed. I knew how tall he was. I knew his stats. I have, I have his last championship game on tape. BHS, right? When he does that swoop move and then, and he makes it game six, right? You know, drained it. Anybody else? You t- okay. I know. I still love Michael Jordan. There's just one thing about Michael Jordan. I, I sent him a, a letter one time as a kid asking for an autograph and I never got a response. But the even bigger thing is, is that if Michael Jordan and I passed on the street, guess what? MJ does not know J.E., that's Josh Earls, if you didn't figure that out. <laughs> MJ don't know me, and I don't know him. I just know about him. And I know a very particular version of him. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I'm afraid that in church, a lot, that's what we do with God. We know a lot about him. We got posters. Our Bibles look like coloring books. We got bookmarks. We got T-shirts. We got Christian food. We got Christian movies, right? We got Christian everything. But do we know them? Hey, there's 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, right? I, I can quote this, I can quote that. But do you know them? And do you know that he wants to know you? And he wants you to know him personally, to have a personal relationship with him. God isn't concerned that you have information about him. He wants that information to be personal, to be relational, that the God of the universe is not some cosmic, you know, disciplinarian, that he is a father. That's how he's revealed in the New Testament over and over and over again. Father, father. He wants you to know him as a father and he wants to, via relationship, change you, which will change your behavior. When I was five years old, I went to this place called Camp David. Camp David is down near Bismarck. I went to this church in, in Arnold called People's Church, and they started a campground. And my grandpa, who had been on staff at that church that was now out in Oklahoma as a pastor, was doing a kids' crusade. I grew up in church like my whole life. I mean, I was born in the pew. Like I, I joked about Christian food and shirts and stuff. We had it all. We were Christian everything. If they would have made a Christian car, we would have had it. We would have had it. We had it all. And at five years old, I go to this camp, and my grandpa's doing the thing, and my, he gives a, an invitation, you know, to come and be saved. And I can remember at five, I still have a very clear, vivid memory of getting saved at a kid's crusade at Camp David, and this place was rough, man. We had an A-frame chapel, open air, no air conditioning, you know, wooden, you know, you had wooden pews, uh, nails and paint sticking out of them. You're, it smells like off in there because people are spraying for mosquitoes, and if you're behind somebody, you're eating it, you know what I mean? But... But just something special about that place, something very special about that place. It's where I got saved, five years old. I said, I want to commit my life to Jesus. 
And then for about the next 10 years, every time there was an altar call, I got saved again. But no, five years old. That began my journey to know him personally. I, I, I grew up and grew up in church, you know, even went to a private Christian school for, for many years. And as I was growing up, though, it was kind of that transition of my parents' faith becoming my own faith and really saying, okay, if what I did at five, is that legitimate? Is that real? You know, all, all those things. And I remember uh, as a teenager, I went to, I went to this mission trip. Uh, we went to White River, Arizona. It was on an Indian reservation. And uh, I'm like 15, 16 at the time, and had just gotten in high school and started to try to figure some things out and really saying, is, is this God thing really real, you know? And it was in White River, Arizona. I was away from my parents. I was with some of my friends from church, not with my friends from school, that I just really had this another encounter with God. And I've never heard God speak audibly. If some of you have, I think that's cool, but I've never experienced that. I just had this sense that God is real, and that he wants, to, he wants to use me in this life for something. It was just kind of this amazing experience that, that really stuck with him. It was just another level of knowing him deeper and more personally. I then make it through that, and I go to college and get married. And then, uh, you know, I'm about 25 years old. I'm working at Joyce Meyer Ministries. I'm in the call center on the phones in English and Spanish, and and I get up one day to go to the bathroom, and I felt the Lord speak this to my heart. I said, Josh, you'll never walk in the fullness of what I have for you unless you're confident before me. And I go, okay. I went and used the bathroom. But I was, I was just, I was trying to figure that out. What does that mean? And so I asked a, a dear friend of mine who's become a spiritual father to me. His name is Lynn Stroop. I said, I said Brother Stroop. And he worked there. I said, well, this is what I feel like the Lord spoke to me, that I'll never walk in the fullness of what I have for him unless I'm confident before him. Here's my question. How, what do I have to do to be confident? What do I have to do? And he looked at me and said, you don't have to do anything. He said, he already did it in Jesus. Now, mind you, I've grown up my whole life, whole life. I come in the next day. There's a book on my desk. It's called The Gospel of Peace by Dr. James Richards, The Gospel of Peace. And I, I would like to tell you that I worked that day, but I didn't. I read the whole day, the whole day. I got paid to read because I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. And I'm reading and I get to this chapter and it talks about the sufficiency of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. I'm 25, born in the pew, some experiences with God. And I'm reading and at some point tears begin to pour down my face. And for the first time in my life that I could say with confidence, I said this, I'm saved. Jesus is enough. See, because I'd been auditioning for God for 25 years. I did grow up in a bit of a legalistic environment where it was like, if it was halfway fun and, and kind of good, then maybe it was sin, you know? Like, it was just like, and I'm not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny, but it was just like very legalistic, you know? We couldn't do certain things, and I never understood why, and I would ask, well, what, what does this have to do with Jesus? What, what, I mean, and this is not to be funny, but why can't I watch the movie in the theater, but I can rent it at Schnucks? Can you explain that to me? Because that... I'm wondering, like, does God have a thing against a lot of people sitting in one space? Because he doesn't care about it on Sunday, but on Monday if I go to the theater. You know what I mean? Just like I would try to recon reconcile these things in my mind, and I never could. I never could. And, and I just began to see, wow, he saved me by his grace, and it is sufficient. And he paid for all my sins, all of them. He saved me. And whoa. Man, it just began to bubble up within me. I call it my grace journey. I began to understand the grace of God as he took me through this journey. And it, it was so amazing because we were brokering a joke. I mean, Lauren and I, I mean, if we, 
if there's something less than broke, that's where we were at. Like we, we, she, we had Carson and she decided, we decided I was for her to stay home. It was more her than me. Um, I was looking at dollar signs, you know, and, and, uh, I mean like going to the grocery store with a calculator, like we can get this, we can't get this. Okay. I got gas in the tank, groceries at home. I got two bucks and I get paid in 10 days, you know, Oh Jesus, you know, Jesus, take the wheel, white knuckle in it. But I'll tell you what, God used that to teach me so much. I mean, that's where he changed me. I was talking to a pastor friend the other day. He came by, an older guy, and he said, how are things going here? I said, oh, they've been really good. I said, man, there's been some really difficult times for me. And he said, you know, he said, it's on the, it's on the rough patches that we climb, not the smooth. I said, I'm going to steal that, bro. I'm going to use it. I used, that was on Tuesday. I used it on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and today. <laughs> that's how you get good. You just steal stuff. And, and I, just, I just think back to that period where it was a good probably two to three year period where the Lord just began to do so much in my life. And, and, and I was like just learning about him and how good he was. And, and, and my, my information about him was becoming relational and transformational. I would go back in a heartbeat to learn what I learned. You couldn't pay me enough to not be in that moment, to know him personally. That's what I want for you. I want you to know him personally. I don't just want you to give money. Don't mind if you do. <laughs> That's not the goal. I don't want you just to come and do stuff for us. Do we need it? Sure. I want you to know him. That the God of the universe loves you. And as he said, David cares for you. All your steps are written down in order. He's got a plan for you. All this took place when you were in the depths of the earth before you were even in your mother's womb. Read Psalms 139. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. He wants to know you. And as you know him, you will be known. And you'll begin to know who you are. The second thing that that Paul says in here is this. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, focused, and clear. The eyes of your heart. You You ever think about your heart having eyes? You know? That the eyes of your heart can be enlightened. Paul's saying, look, I want you to be free. And I want you to experience the freedom that God has for you, not just in what you stop doing or what you start doing, but in your heart. The deepest issues for us as humanity flows out of our heart. Jesus said, guard your heart for above all else flows the issues of life. God is concerned about your heart, not just your behavior. The heart determines your behavior. You can cut off a symptom all you want, but if you don't deal with the root, it's going to keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. God wants to enlighten your heart. You know, the greatest divide in the human experience is the head and the heart, and God wants to close that gap and unite the head and the heart. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened. May you know him, but may you experience the freedom in your heart. I mean, for me, for many years, my, my biggest struggle was pornography. Huge, right? Like I just couldn't stop. And I remember the message I heard, you got to stop or you're going to ruin your life. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. You're not telling me how. Well, pray. Did it. Get an accountability partner. Got three of them. They're not awake at two in the morning. Um, you know, try this. Tried it. I, I was auditioning for God, right? So, so I can't invite God into the problem. 
Because i got to prove to God that, that I'm stronger than this and that I'm better than this and that this is not who I'm going to be and, God, I don't want to ruin my life. And so it was all rooted in fear. You know, it wasn't until this grace journey, right? Because I thought, hey, you know, when I get married, this problem's going to solve itself. Eh, wrong answer. Didn't fix a thing. It, marriage doesn't change you. It just reveals you. Just like money. Makes you more of what you already are. If you're a jerk broke, you'll be a jerk rich. If you're a jerk single, be a big jerk married. Right? It reveals you. Reveals you. You know, and I, bringing this into the marriage, I thought, oh, once I start having sex with my wife, it's all going to be, you know, good because I was told all my whole life, well, here's what I heard about sex. Don't wait, get married, never have trouble. Anybody agree with that advice? No, no. It wasn't until I, I began to know him personally and God began to speak to my heart and I could say, hey, God, look at this issue I've had for 10 plus years. Bro, man, what is going on? Help me with this. And that someone could sit me down and say, God is not going to reject you. He's not going to flee from you. He's not going to hold it in front of your face and make fun of you. And I remember the day I was like, oh, Lord, I got to stop because this is so bad. And, and Lauren was aware. I said, this is just ruining her. You know, it's so bad for her. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, hey, I don't want you to stop because you think it's only ru- ruining her. You need to stop and recognize that it's destroying you. That's the problem with an addiction. If you only stop for other people, you never take responsibility that it's wrong and it's destructive for you. And that's what the Lord wanted to say. Hey, let me peel back the layers of your heart here and set you free. That, hey, Josh, you are more than that. It doesn't define you. You don't have to live with the guilt and the shame. I've set you free. I'm stronger than that. I've dealt with every temptation common to man. And I want to set you free. I learned as God began to reveal himself personally that he was not put off by my darkness. He came to scatter the darkness with his light inside of me. Right? Yeah. God is okay with your junk. Does he like it? No. Does he want to get rid of it? 100%. But we got to let him do the work and we got to partner with him. One of the worst things we can do when we come into this place is act like everything's good. Oh, I'm good, man. I got this going on. I got this going on. I got this going on. And we're like, shut up. You're broken just like I am. You got some good stuff and you got some hard stuff. So let's stop faking it. We'll stop playing some up some church image, acting like we don't have any problems. That's why we're here. If you were all good, why are you listening to me? You know? God is making us better. He's, he's, he's moving us from where we're at to where he wants us to be, setting us free. And then he began to deal with my fear and anxiety. I thought I was good. And then I got, became the pastor of this church. And I realized, I'm not good. Because God says, you're right, you're not good because you're so afraid of man. You've been auditioning for me so long, you've got to feel like you've got to audition for everybody else. So then I'm worried about every thought, every word, everything I did. Oh, are they going to like me? Are they going to like me? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And the Lord begins to say, hey, your identity is in me, not in what you do. Not in what others say, right? It's in me. It's a journey. Now he's dealing with the negative attitude I have towards myself or the negative script. Anybody talk bad about yourself? Can you imagine if you put what you say about yourself, it was made audible and you could listen to it? You think people are talking bad about you. You talking bad about you. How do I know that? Because I've listened to my script. I've written it down before and read it and said, whoa, my wife is right. Right? Meaning, 
So you say, you, t- you think so poorly of yourself. So no wonder this is what I'm saying about myself. God wants you to find freedom, and he wants you to do that with other people. There's this crazy scripture in James that says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. How unexciting does that sound? <laughs> How many of you want to sit down from somebody and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is an area that I need help with. No, we don't want to do that. But God says, hey, look, you come to me for forgiveness, but sit amongst my children who have been broken and have experienced healing and let healing flow from one of you to another. That's why we say, get in a small group. Meet other people. Make yourself a little vulnerable, not with everyone, but with people you trust and experience the healing that can come from being honest because you're only as free as you are honest. Right? You can be honest before the Lord. You can be honest before other people and find freedom in your heart. The behavior will start to take care of itself when you let God change your heart. Obedience is not the root of your relationship with God. It is the fruit. God produces the fruit of obedience in you. The more you trust him, the more obedient you are, it grows. And your wants begin to change. Your desires begin to change. You begin to see the futility and the emptiness and the things that you're using to define yourself. Maybe for you it's not pornography, it's not alcohol, it's not drugs. Maybe it's just success. You just work all the time. That's an addiction. That's a drug. That's what you're finding your identity in. Maybe it's in just being busy. Maybe it's in whatever the case may be. You know, whatever you're using to identify and validate yourself with, it's not from God. It's going to be empty, and it'll never be enough. Ever. Never be enough. Finding freedom. Allowing God to enlighten and open the eyes of your heart. So knowing God, finding freedom. Here's the third thing. He says this. I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you, or as it says here, what he is, exactly what it is he is calling you to do. We'd say this is just discovering your purpose. We just believe around here that every single one of you has some gifts and talents, and there's a purpose. There's a reason why you're here, that God has created you to do something and, and impact somebody, and it doesn't mean you have to be in ministry. It doesn't mean you have to be you know, in, in uh, the record books or anything like that, that wherever you're at, there's a purpose for your life. That God has created you with a certain set of gifts and talents and abilities to, to do that. One of the things that God has given me is the ability to talk. Right? My dad say, you'd argue with a dead man and then kick him for not responding. <laughs> right? right? That you, you should be a lawyer, son. You should go do something. And, and my father was releasing me into my purpose of saying, use this gift that God has given you. I look back over the course of my life and, and try to identify some key moments where I felt that, that God was maybe calling me or pushing me along in the journey. And one of those things was when I was eight years old, I went to this thing called a powwow. It's a Royal Ranger camp out, and they have services at night, right? So you get the kids all tired during the day, and then you take them to service at night. And uh, there's this guy there, and he was speaking, and he was talking about being called into full-time ministry. I didn't know what full-time ministry was. Like eight or ten, I can't remember. But I remember feeling this kind of draw because he said, hey, look, if, if you feel this calling, then come to the front. I want to pray for you. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to the front. I don't want to go to the front just because all my friends went to the front. I got saved a hundred times by then, you know, because I always went to the front. And I was like, God, I'm not going. But I, I remember I just felt this something sitting in me like it was beckoning me. You know, like this is what your life's going to be. That was the eight or ten. Same trip to Arizona. I'm 15, 16 at the time. Again, I feel this draw, this call. I thought, oh, I'm going to be a missionary. I didn't want to be a pastor. Nope, not at all. 
Can't pay me enough. No, no, not being a pastor. Missionary, yeah, I just remember there, a call, a draw, feeling it. I go to college, I go to CMSU my, my first year at Central Missouri State, yeah, first semester really, and I just went there because I thought I had to get away, and, and this was the first time I really had some freedom, kind of questioning my faith again. I thought it would be great, so I joined a fraternity. That was a good decision, really good one. And, um, oh yeah, we love God, you know, we pray, pray on Sunday, drink till Saturday, pray on Sunday, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and so I thought, well, maybe, yeah, I'll try that. And uh, I remember one night specifically, like, you wonder how God can do some things, how he can really begin to work on your psyche and, and your poor views of him. I, I had gone out and I, you know, drank a little too much, maybe a lot of much. And uh, I came back to my dorm room. I walked back. <laughs> I, a while, it took me a while. I walked back. I didn't have my keys to get in the dorm room, so thankfully someone let me in. I crawled up in my loft bed, and I passed out, and I had this dream, vivid dream. In this dream, I was preaching. I was in an arena, and there was this oval-shaped stage I was on, and it was three steps high, and it was red, and it was like a 360-degree round, and the place was packed out, and I'm preaching, and there was this gaudy acrylic podium, you know, the ones you see on on TV and stuff, and gaudy, and uh, I was standing at this, and and I'm speaking, and I give this response or this call, and these people come, and I can see, like, I can see their issues over their head, you know, like in the cartoons. I can see what their issue is. And I can just see that God is just setting people free and restoring relationships and all this stuff in the dream. And I wake up in the middle of the night and my face is wet because I've been crying in the dream. And I'm like, God, you spoke to me in the midst of this? I left that school at the end of that semester, passed all my classes. <laughs> I came home. I enrolled in Jefferson University, Jeff Co- Jefferson College. I started started just pursuing what I felt the Lord had called me to do. Ended up getting my degree in Spanish with a minor in theology because that's what I just felt like he wanted me to do. I get the job at Joyce Meyer Ministries. I'm working there. Everything's going good. But then, then, Laura and I are coming home from church one night on a Wednesday night. Carson's little. We're sitting in the car, and I said, hey, I really feel like the Lord's been speaking to me about something. She goes, me too. We hadn't dialogued about it. I said, what has he been saying to you? She goes, no, you go first. And I said, I just keep thinking about the fact of what if we were to pastor Faith Community Church someday? Nobody had said a word to us. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't feel like I'm gifted or called or want to deal with what Pastor Ed had to deal with at the time. But it just kept, man, coming up. I asked a friend of mine, I said, what do I do with that? He said, hey, bro, you just keep your hand to the plow in the field you're harvesting in, and if it's true, God will bring it to pass. So I just kept working there. It was like three years, wasn't it? Probably three years from the time we felt that God speak till this opportunity really opened up, and then it was a journey. I mean, God just began to speak, and, and in the meantime, we started a nonprofit because we felt like God asked us to called Project 58, and we started building homes in Guatemala, and we had no money. You know, it was like we're just, and we were so d- young and dumb, we just did it, right? And, uh, and somehow people gave us money, and we built homes in Guatemala, and just God was doing a crazy things. But all the while, it was just this process of discovering his purpose for our life. Now, I'm not making the claim that my journey has to be your journey. I'm just trying to give you some context in my story, how I got here. Was just God saying, hey, look, why don't you, why don't you take a step in that direction, and then you step? Why don't you take a step here, and then you step? And with each step, the purpose becomes a little more clear. I can take you back. Since my dad's saying, hey, bro, use your mouth. 
Use your mouth. Use that gift. I started washing dishes because my dad made me. It was a good job. And then I got, I got to wait on tables at the same job. I went from the dish room to the, to the floor. I made way more money waiting tables than I did washing dishes. And then from there, I went and sold appliances in college. I made more money selling appliances than I did waiting on tables. And then I got a job in the call center, and I talked to people for eight hours a day in English and Spanish. I did that for years. And then, and then I got another job uh, at JMM working in IT. Where I didn't do anything technical. I just talked to people from different departments. Right? I got to communicate what your needs are over to here. It was like being a pastor in some way. You, know, you want this, but you can't do this, and you want this, and you want this. It's like, how are we going to get all this done? God was just working in me and, and, and developing some of those skills and communication skills, and then, and then here you go. I've been the pastor here for, for the last five years, and it's been an incredible ride, but that's just been God's revealing of his purpose for me in my life, and I would encourage you to start tapping into that, to start taking inventory, looking back over your life and saying, God, how have you brought me to this point? What is the purpose that you've called me for? What is the gift set and the talents? I remember being in Mexico one year. My father was given a devotion. He said, you know, I felt God call me to, to be in the church in some way. And he said, then after I got into this field that I'm in, and my dad's very good with his hands and has gone on many, many mission trips and built churches, he said, I felt like the Lord speak to me. He said, W, I did call you to the church, but I called you to build churches so that around the world so that people could pastor them. My father discovered his purpose in doing right? And in using the gifts and talents. That's why we say, hey, go to Next Steps. We want to give you, take a personality test, give you a spiritual gift assessment, and then we want you to go and serve in some capacity. We want something for you, not just something from you. Because that leads to the fourth and final thing, which is make a difference. Here's what Paul says. I pray that you would grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Here's what he says in the um, that's what it was in the, in the message, that you would grasp the immensity of the glorious way of life that he has for his followers. God has an immense and glorious way for you and I to live. I mean, I look back and I say, wow, God, you've taken me all over the place. You've taken me to India, to Brazil, to Guatemala, to Mexico, to all these places. I've gotten to preach in every single one of those places. It's been incredible. I never, ever would have thought that that would have been the journey that God had brought me on, that missions was a part of it. What I experienced in Arizona was legitimate, and what I experienced in the car with Lauren was legitimate, and God is using them both. Hey, there's a gift. There's a talent. Go make a difference. Don't wait until you get the complete picture. Don't wait until everything's in order. Take a step. Take a risk. What's God asking you to do? What if I fail? You will. It's the rough patches you climb on, not the smooth. But all you get to see God reveal himself in failure. And he'll say, oh, yeah, 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 he taught me this lesson. And then you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. What's your purpose? Some of you would say, hey, look, I'm at the end of my life. I don't know if God wants to reveal anything to me. Hey, my grandfather retired from being a pastor because he was in renal kidney failure. He's sitting in dialysis feeling sorry for himself, and he's in dialysis three days a week for like at least four hours a time, saying, God, what are you going to do with me? And God basically said, David... Look at all these people here. He looked at all of them. He said, I didn't ask you to stop being a pastor. As a matter of fact, I've given you this whole dialysis unit to pastor. So you know what my grandfather did? He started pastoring that unit. He's on the machine, and he's praying for people, and he's telling them about Jesus, and he's pastoring, and he meets this lady, right? I become the pastor. He died four years ago. I became the pastor, and I'm at a point where I'm like, my grandfather just died, 
And he was like my hero. And I'm like, and it was getting difficult. And I said, Lord, I don't know if I want to do it anymore. Like, I, I just need a sign. Everybody been there? I just need something from you. And this lady comes forward. And she says, are you Josh Earls? I said, yes. She said, is David Earls your grandson? And whoom, tears immediately. I said, yes. She said, my husband was in dialysis at this unit. And your grandfather would pray with my husband and pray for me every day. And he would tell me, hey, look, my grandson pastors a church. And he's a pretty good preacher. And, you know, he's right. But, um, <laughs> and uh, you need to check it out. She said, my husband just passed away. And the words of your grandfather came up in me, reminded me. And she came to this church, and she got saved. She's not here anymore. And she got saved. I, like, snot cried all over this lady. <laughs> you know, like, it was a sign. Two ways. Number one, God hears my prayers. Number two, my grandfather in the final stages of his life was still discovering his purpose, and he was still making a difference. Still, people stopped by his house a few days, all, a few days all the way up until he passed away, and he's praying for them. Like, he's ministering to them. Man, making a difference. Making a difference. Live your life full. That's my prayer for you. Make a difference. Make a difference in the people around you. Start with your family. Start with your workplace. I hate my job. Well, you know what? Work hard at it. Go find a new job. Be the best whatever it is that you are that you can be. Make a difference. Do it as unto the Lord. Leave a legacy. This this road is not, is not always fun. It's not always easy. You may not feel like you always have enough, but God is faithful. Just like we sang this morning, all of his promises are yes and amen. I guarantee you, if you embark on this journey, say, you know what, God, I want you to move me from where I'm at to where you want me to be, but I want to know you. I want to find freedom. I want to discover purpose, and I want to make a difference. I believe God will take you on a pretty crazy ride. Two chapters later, Paul prays this. To him who is able to do exceedingly, and abundantly above anything that we could ever ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within him. But he says two things, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. If you're auditioning for God, I guarantee you, you're not asking or imagining. You're white-knuckling it, you're redlining it, trying to get him to accept you, where God is saying, hey, look, ask me. Imagine, and I can do exceedingly and abundantly more. My son asks me for a lot. Sometimes I'm like, stop. No. But then there are times where I'm like, oh, bro, I'm going to do you one better. Just wait. And every time I've told him no, and every time I've told him to wait, it's because I have something exceedingly and abundantly above what he's thinking about and what he's asking for. So just because you ask doesn't mean God's going to say yes, but he may say stop. He may say no. He may say wait because he's got something better. But ask and imagine because you've got a heavenly father, not a heavenly disciplinarian, not a heavenly judge alone who is waiting for you to audition for him. That's my prayer for you. So anytime you come in here, anytime you walk out of here, if you're wondering, what does this place have for me? We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. Discover your purpose. Oh, and go make a difference. And let's do it together. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. And my prayer is just going to be Paul's prayer because it's God's prayer for all of us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's in this room. I thank you for those individuals that are here today that, Father, maybe they need to take that step to know you. God, help them to know you personally. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to them. 
Give them the courage and the, and the ability to take that step. Secondly, for those that are, need freedom in this place, I'm not talking about just from a substance. I'm talking about freedom in their hearts, whatever the case may be. Would you enlighten and open the eyes of their hearts to the freedom that you want to give? May they let you in. May they know that you're gracious. You're not going to leave them hanging out to dry. You're not going to berate them, but, Father, you're going to love them. And you're gonna, it may be painful, but you're going to pull those things out of their heart that is contributing to their current behavior and situation. God, help us, if we're in here, we're struggling to find our purpose. Help us to discover our purpose in you. And then, Lord, release us to make a difference. And, Father, we conclude this prayer with the words of Paul. Father, we keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us through the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this church. And thank you for these words that you wrote so many years ago, not just to those people at Ephesus, but to us today in House Springs and wherever we are from in this building. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.